Well, before I uh, dive into today's message, I just want to take a moment to uh, pause as we are, uh, I guess, kicking off day math, whatever today is, 14, 15 of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so if you've been with us the last couple weeks, hopefully you've gotten one of these cards. If you haven't, there should be one in the seat back in front of you or one of the tables on your way out. If you've missed the last couple weeks, we would love for you to join us for this final week as we as a church, we issued the challenge for us all to seek God through prayer and fasting for 21 days, not fasting for a full 21 days, but to pick something uh, to fast from as we seek God to say, God, where might you be leading me in the next uh, year? And so some of you asked about the, the perforated card at the bottom. Next week, we want you to, uh, after taking this card home, praying and fasting, to just fill that out and bring it with you next week to church. And we will kind of uh, do have a little celebration and that type of stuff the following week. But we'd love to just see where God is leading us as a church, but you as an individual. Uh, but I wanted to share a story that someone emailed me about their journey so far in this 21 days. Uh, They said this, they said, Eric, I wanted to share my experience so far in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. At first, I thought about fasting from social media or television like I have done before, but I decided to do fast food and, or sorry, food fast. I mean, I'm going to eat only fast food for 21 days. That would be kind of crazy to do a food fast instead. I've been fasting for four straight meals every Wednesday. And while I have not heard the audible voice of God or something similar to that, it has taught me one main thing like you preached on a few weeks ago, that there is no progress without commitment. My short fast has shown me that the casual nature of my faith and the necessary intentionality to truly grow spiritually is what I need next. This may sound small, but to me, it has been life-changing. And so we hope that you have been praying and fasting and that you will join us this final week as we seek God together. And we issued this challenge because this series of commit is based on this one thing, is that, that we believe in some form or fashion, wherever you find yourself in your walk in faith with church, with Jesus, that you desire to to grow. But oftentimes, in order for us to grow, we need to leave ourselves no other option but to take that step forward. And so today, we are talking about the two other areas uh, on our Commit Card Through Us Commit series, uh, how God might be potentially calling you to commit, and that is through communing with him or through contributing. And when we say the word commune, what I mean is, is your personal daily rhythms with God, uh, your, your personal uh, habits as a follower of Jesus. So that could be things like reading your Bible. It could be praying. Maybe it's something different or new. Maybe this whole thing of fasting is something you want to do more regularly. Maybe it's honoring the Sabbath more biblically. What that might be, I don't know, but maybe God is calling you to commune deeper with him this year. And that other area is the word contribute. And we believe that every Christian is called to give back to God of their time, talents, their passions, as well as with their money to help further the mission of Jesus. But I want to start here this morning because when it comes to these two topics we're going to talk about today, our time and our money, oftentimes I think we kind of tense up. Some of you are probably here being like, okay, I know, another one of these sermons. I get it, I get it, I get it. But why is that? Why, when, when the Bible makes it very clear, and Jesus preaches about money more than anything else, and those two topics of, are you going to spend time with your Lord and Savior, and are you going to give generously as he first gave to you, do we kind of shrink back? Some of you are probably kind of like, this is a really bad day to be checking out church for the first time in a long time. And here's why, because I'm a firm believer in this, is that we prefer invitation over obligation, 
Show of hands, how many of you would prefer something to be invited into opposed to doing something you have to do? Show of hands, come on. Every single one of us, we prefer invitation over obligation. And so when it comes to things like time and money, there's a massive difference in these two. Think about with your money. You are obligated to pay your bills. You can't help it. They show up every month. They know how to track you down. They know your phone number, all that type of stuff. They, they know exactly how much money you owe. You are obligated to pay your bills. And I'm just going to venture to guess, you probably don't like to do that. But that's way different than the invitations you get to spend money. Maybe somebody has invited you to a game and you get to pay for that ticket. Maybe someone in your family is having a child and so you get the invitation to buy that child a gift and so you buy a shirt that says world's best uncle with your face on it being like, yeah, great idea. I'm going to stock that one away for next time. Think about your time as well too. You are obligated if you're a student to go to class and you probably don't want to sometimes. You are obligated to show up at work. A lot of us were obligated to go to those family reunions that we would rather not. But you are invited to that birthday party and you can't wait to go. A group of friends says, hey, that new Marvel movie, it's like the 37th one is coming out. You guys want to meet up at midnight and dress up as ants and wasps and go watch it, you know? You accept that invitation willingly. You see, there's a big difference when you are obligated to do something versus when you are invited to do something. And oftentimes you still have to give something up We give up the same things. We give up our time. We give up our money. But the difference in our heart and in our mind is oftentimes simply, am I obligated to do this or is it an invitation? And so when we we get together to talk about, hey, God talks about your time and your money, maybe the reason we shrink back, and this is where I want you to maybe lean in this morning, is maybe the reason we shrink back. Maybe our our gut reaction is, another one of these. Maybe it's because for the longest time we've viewed it as an obligation instead of an invitation. And that's what we're going to talk about today because I believe firmly that Jesus doesn't say you are obligated to give me back your time, your money, your passions, your skills, your gift, your resources. Rather, he invites us to use them for him and his glory. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Over the last couple weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' call of some of his first disciples. Now real quick, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. The, The Bible's broken into two parts, an Old Testament, meaning the time before Jesus, the New Testament that begins with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they give us a biography, the life, the stories, the teachings of Jesus. But next week, we kick off a teaching series through the life of David, found in First and Second Samuel, leading up to Easter. And we're going to do something different for that series, which is we are not going to provide you the words on the screen when we read the passages. We're going to show you the passage, but there's, we're going to cover a lot of ground, a lot of stories. So if you are not in the habit of bringing your Bible with you to church, I encourage you to start doing that next week. Or you can download the fancy app. Our app as well has the Bible on it. You can take sermon notes, but that's all starting next week. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus in week one we talked about calls us to leave no other option to follow him. And we saw that the disciples knew they had to give themselves no other option but to leave the nets to follow after him. 
Last week we saw how Jesus calls us into community to connect with others, that we do not do faith alone. And we're going to look at one other thing here that Jesus invites us, two invitations and a promise as a disciple of him. Matthew chapter 4, three quick verses, 18, 19, and 20. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you remember these. If this is your first week in our Commit series, welcome. And here it goes. It says in verse 18, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, pay attention to this verse. This is kind of our key verse for today. Jesus says to them, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Your translations might say, I will make you into fishers of men. And at once, immediately, they left their nets behind and follow after him. Could you imagine if you followed Jesus around for three years? For three years, these young men went with Jesus wherever he went. He, he, he took them to new places. He, he taught them new things. And this wasn't like something that it was just like, hey, I'm going to walk life. You can go ahead and be my shadow. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going on this place over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You hop on your donkey, follow me. I'll show you how to get there. Then once we get there, you're on your own. No, it's more of like an apprenticeship. You see, in scripture, when we talk about the word disciple, and when we use the word disciple today, the more true term is the word to become an apprentice. And so what it would be likened to is if today you wanted to go become an electrician or a plumber, after you go to school, after you get the certifications, one of the things that you have to do is you have to be an apprentice for many years. And what they do is they take somebody who's maybe a master craftsman and they pair them up with somebody who is just starting out and you follow each other wherever you go. And so he shows you the skills of the trade. He shows you how to, how to properly angle a drain. He shows you the correct way to run and protect wires sort of thing. And so when Jesus says, hey, follow me, for three years, they were taught the tools of the trade. For three years, they were given the insights of the kingdom. For three years, they got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. See, it's not like if, if you decided to get a job with Amazon and you became a prime delivery driver, maybe you worked in the warehouse and you, and you, you made the packages or whatever, you would never see Jeff Bezos. You would never get his personal cell phone. He would probably never invite you onto one of his like 12 private jets. That just wouldn't happen. But when it comes to following Jesus, when Jesus said, hey, come follow me, it's not like he's the CEO and this person over here is just some little peasant that got to tag along. It was like, no, we are going to do this together. You're gonna go where I go. You're gonna walk where I walk. And so with Jesus, they saw everything he did. They ate with Jesus. They joked with Jesus. They cried with Jesus. They shared their concerns with him and he with them. They would hear his stories. They would ask him questions. They would analyze each other's facial expressions. They were together for three years. And even after three years, the disciples still didn't have all the answers. Even after three years, some of them still doubted. Even after three years, there was still some uncertainty but the interesting thing is even after that, those three years, it did not change the invitation that Jesus made. And that same call exists for you and I today. It's our first point for this morning is that Jesus invites you to commune with him. 
The same way that he looked at the disciples and said, come be my apprentice, spend time with me, learn my voice, hear my heart, Jesus makes the same invitation for you. And it's a get to, not a have to. To accept that invitation means we get to spend time with God. We get to hear his heart through his word. We get to talk to him in prayer. Let me say that again, because I think sometimes we forget this fact is that the sovereign creator of the universe, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, triune God, savior of the world, has made an invitation for you every moment of your life to be with him. That's powerful, is it not? That is a huge invitation opposed to, well, I go to church, I guess I gotta read my Bible because that's what good Christians do. Jesus says, be with me, spend time with me, and I will return the favor. Like any of you guys have a friend who is like close like family to where you don't need an invitation to go into their house? A couple of you. So, so growing up, my best friend lived a couple doors down from me. And at some point, they, I don't think they ever made it official, but I was more or less like their adopted son. I went everywhere with him to the point that whenever I wanted to go to their house, I didn't knock. I didn't ring the doorbell. I just busted in the kitchen door, be like, yo, your third son's home. Probably your favorite one too. What are we having for dinner? I didn't need an invitation. It was this open invite. Eric, whenever you want to come over, there's always a seat for you at our table. Whenever you want to tag along with us to the store, whenever you want to go to that ball game with us, you are more than welcome to. It was an open invitation. It wasn't like this specific RSVP that said, okay, on this date at this time, you are welcome to come in. If you, if you checked all the right boxes, then you're allowed to come. No, and the same thing applies to you and I, is that you have an open invitation to spend time with the creator, sovereign, savior of the world. And that open invitation looks so many different ways. Maybe for you, it's when you get up in the morning and you drink that coffee. Along with it is the open Bible. Spend time with him in that way. Maybe it's to memorize a verse of scripture because you're going through maybe something that's a little hard or rough right now. And so when you feel all alone or lost or confused or let down, Jesus can speak to you that way. Maybe it's learning to talk to God in prayer and sharing what's on your heart and listening for what he wants to say to you. But you can pray wherever. You can pray at the table. You can pray in your bed before you go to bed. You can pray in your bed when you get up. You can pray while you're driving in your car. Just don't close your eyes because that would be bad. But you can pray wherever you like. Maybe that communing with him is to take your schedule and to block out time. If you're a type A person, you got to say, okay, I do things that are on my schedule, so I'm going to put this is when I will connect with God. And you put it on your schedule and everything else gets organized around it. Because here's the key is that you can never follow somebody you are never with. And that's why Jesus says, follow me. The invitation to commune is always there. And there's a second invitation in this verse, and that is Jesus invites you also to contribute to his mission. Jesus says, so I will teach you how to fish for men. What Jesus essentially is saying is I'm about to change the world. I'm about to turn this whole thing upside down and you get to play a part and I'm going to teach you how to do it. You see, when Jesus invited these young men, they knew how to do one thing and one thing only and that was fish for fish. They didn't know how to change the world. 
They didn't know how to leave a movement. They didn't know how to do anything except fish. And since they were fishermen, it meant they weren't the most impressive people ever. They weren't educated. They probably spat on the ground a bunch. They probably swore. They probably told raunchy jokes from time to time. They were rough. They tumbled. They probably got into fights. And Jesus says, I will teach you. I will show you how to contribute to change the world. Nobody would ever have thought that these young blue-collar teenagers would lead the greatest movement that changes lives for all eternity. Yet Jesus, because he said, I will be the source for it, I will show you, they accepted that invitation to contribute to the kingdom of God. They weren't the most educated. They certainly weren't the most religious. If you made a list of all the people in the time of Jesus and said, who should be the ones to change the world? Put it on the list. Who are the groups of people, the types of people who are going to be Jesus' best followers, closest followers? What do they look like? What do they do? Fishermen maybe not have been peasants at the complete bottom, but they would have been pretty close. They were average Joes. There was nothing impressive about them. And my favorite part about the call is that Jesus knows this and he doesn't offer a test first. He doesn't gauge whether or not they were worthy. He just simply says, follow me and I will teach you how to change the world. See, the invitation to contribute was not given with a prerequisite to clean up first. Jesus didn't say, all right, guys, um, here's my plan. I'm going to change the world. I'm Jesus. I'm Savior. You might have heard of me, maybe not. I don't know. Okay, but here's what we're going to do. But first, I need to make sure you're worthy to be on my team. So, okay, uh, Peter, John, Andrew, James, Bartholomew. Okay, you guys sit down. Let me get out my clipboard here. Okay, have you ever smoked? Yeah, okay, not not off to a good start there. Have you ever said a swear word? I mean, which one you want to know? I know lots of them. Some of the times I mix them together and they sound really cool. He's like, okay, okay. Uh, How many Bible verses do you know? I can't even read, bro. Okay, um, how many times have you been to church? What's a church? Okay, uh, uh, how many old ladies have you helped across the street? Okay, none, all right. Yeah, uh, okay. Well, here's the thing. I really like you guys. I think we would be a great fit. But first, can you go ahead and, 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 and kind of clean up first? Let's drop the language. Let's change that. Let's kind of get your life in order. Then once you've done all of that, then you can come follow me. Sound good? And Jesus does absolutely none of that. He just simply says, drop the nets. Follow me. I will show you the way. I will teach you how to change the world. Just straight up, spend time with me, lean into my mission, and I will make you a world changer if you want. And I think some of us come to Jesus with this misunderstanding that there are things we must do, things we must get out of our life, things we have to clean up first in order to be allowed to spend time with Jesus or to be used by him for his kingdom. But here's the truth I want you to know is that as we commune and as we contribute, Jesus changes us. We wrongly conclude that we need to clean up first in order to be with Jesus or to be used by him. Well, I got to go to church enough times first. I got to attend enough Bible studies. I need to read enough verses. I need to give enough church uh, to the church enough. I need to help enough people. I need to serve. And then maybe God will actually want me. Or then maybe God will actually view me as viable or not. And the thing is, is Jesus didn't see any of that. He knew their past. He knew what they were good at, which wasn't a whole lot of anything. And he simply says to them, follow me. 
Because Jesus was more concerned about where they were headed, not where they had been. Let me give you an illustration. Let me start by asking a question. Anyone in here take a uh, uh, clean up first before you take a shower? Anybody? Yeah, okay, nobody. Because that'd be weird, right? Before I became a pastor here, I was a pastor uh, at a church in Danville uh, doing high school ministry. And we had this kid um, who, who showed up very regularly. And, and I got to know him well. And we were cleaning up one night after our high school service. And I was going to give him a ride home. And so he was kind of hanging out. And, 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 and he, let's just put it this way. This kid had been through a lot in life. And we were having baptism Sunday the next Sunday. And I looked at him and I said, hey, like, what are you going to do, man? Like, have you ever been baptized? Do you desire to be baptized? And he looked at me, and man, what he said was, he goes, well, I would, but, but pastor, I drink a lot. And he's like, I'm not of age, and when I drink, I drink a lot. And, and I lie to my mom about where I'm going and what I'm doing, and so, you know, I, I just think I got to get that under control first. So I looked at him, and I asked him the question I just asked you. I said, do you get a shower before you take a shower? Do you get some Lysol wipes and rub your pits down and then hop in? He goes, no, of, of course not. And I said, the same goes with Jesus. He doesn't say, get clean first, and then I will make you clean. He just says, follow me. So, so what are you saying? I don't have to stop drinking in order to become a Christian. And I said, no. And he's like, hmm, I like this church. <laughs> well, what about... Once I say yes to him, then do I stop drinking? And I said, that's between you and Jesus. Because I believe that if you spend time with him, he will do the work in your life. He will clean you. By his love and his grace and his power, he will be the one who changes. But nowhere does he ever say, clean up first and then you can come in. He simply says, follow me. And the same thing goes for you and I today that we are welcomed into the kingdom of Jesus by one thing and one thing only. And that's his grace and his love for you and I. But he very much cares about changing us along the way. He very much cares about what you do. He very much cares about how you spend your time, how you spend your money, but only he is in charge of your rate of change. So Jesus offers these two invitations to these disciples, these early disciples. He says, commune with me, follow me, fish for men, I will teach you how. But there's a hinge between the two that I think sometimes if we miss this or misunderstand this, we kind of feel like we're in this obligation standpoint. Let me show you. Matthew chapter uh, 4, verse 19 again. I'm going to get out my handy-dandy pen and show you something interesting in this word. So, so come and follow me. There's invitation number one. I will teach you, uh, send you out to fish for men. That's invitation number two. And so if you have a Bible with you, highlight this, circle this, note this, but circle this I will. Because this is so important. This I will is the vital piece holding these two invitations together. It's a promise of Jesus. Because sometimes we we get it misunderstood. Okay, well, if I follow, if I spend enough time with God, then God is maybe obligated to give me followers. Or or maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe we think of it like, like, like the other way. Spend time with me. And then you will get to be the one who makes disciples. 
Jesus says, no, no, follow me, contribute for me, but I will be the one who does the work. I will be the one who is your source of power. I will be your source of wisdom and guidance. You just need to trust and lean into me. When we miss the I will part, what we begin to do is try to make God obligated to us. And that is a very dangerous place for us to be. That's where the obligation begins to take precedent and it's no longer an invitation. The call to commune, the call to contribute begins to feel like a have to instead of a get to because we think that if I do enough, if I read enough Bible, if I go to church enough times, if I give enough money, then God will be obligated to me. What we begin to do is treat God like a secret code, a secret knock. I just made that up. It's no secret. Maybe you've got an Android, like three of you probably, right? Uh, no offense. But you got like that swiping code, right? And you got to know like the secret code. I think that's pretty cool. Apple, pay attention, right? Also get better batteries. Uh, anyways. But we begin to treat Jesus like a secret code. If I commune the right way, if I contribute enough way, then God is obligated to me. If I read enough Bible, then, well, God, it's your job to make my life blessed and easy. Well, God, if I pray, you will heal that person, will you not? If I go to church enough times, well, that will fix that broken relationship no matter what, correct? If I give enough money to the church, well, actually, God, then what you're going to do is make my business grow on the back end. Because I think that's kind of what you think you should do. Well, if I serve long enough, then I get favors stacked up. If I do 21 days of prayer and fasting, then God, you owe me big time. And here's the issue with that. And a lot of us, I think, we, if we're not careful, we fall into this. The issue becomes then when life inevitably goes awry again, when that business doesn't get turned around, when that person doesn't get healed, when life doesn't get easier, when that prayer request to have a child isn't answered, and we think we have obligated God to us, then what inevitably happens is one of two things. Faith isn't real, or God doesn't care about me. And we begin to think, well, maybe I don't have enough faith, and the problem is me. Maybe we think that, well, okay, God, you could help me, but you won't. So therefore, you're mean, and you're not loving. Or God wants to help, and he can't. So you're not really who you say you are. And we think either God gave up on us, or we give up on him. And that's why the difference between seeing our call to commune and contribute must be seen as an invitation, not an obligation. That what if spending time with God wasn't about a secret code to unlock, to get God to owe you favors? What about the call to give your time and your money back to the church for his kingdom? wasn't about twisting God's arm in your favor, but learning to trust him all the more. So what about you? How might you be able to make the change, if you're in that spot, of not seeing it as an obligation, but as an invitation to be a disciple? I want to give you my why of where it's from me. This might not be for you, where you find yourself, but this is my why. When I think about how does it become not an obligation, but an invitation to do things. The two things I hold tightest in, in my life 
And it might be the two things you hold tightest in your life, which is your time and your money. How do we see it as an invitation and not an obligation? For me, again, not you, but for me, Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8, it says these words. It says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, what Paul is saying, you are destined to spend eternity in hell away from God. While we were powerless to save ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. And when that word ungodly comes up, I raise my hand because that's certainly me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Translation. Nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Nobody cares for you like Jesus does. Nobody can save you except for the blood of Jesus. And nothing will last besides his name. My why of turning it from an obligation to an invitation is to think about that 2,000-ish years ago, and even prior to that, the sovereign creator of the universe says, I have a plan to redeem everyone. I'm going to send part of myself. I'm going to send my son, the son of God, to this earth. And he says that I'm going to die on a cross for the sin of the world. Oh, by the way, I'm coming back three days later. And then he takes his final breath on the cross, carrying my weight of my sin because of my disobedience for God to make me right with God, and then actually comes back to life three days later? Like if somebody has the ability to call their death and call their resurrection and actually do it, I'm probably going to do whatever that guy says. So then when God says, I need some time with you, absolutely. When God says, you get that paycheck, 10%, back to me, because there's a greater purpose, there's a greater, there's more fish to be saved. Absolutely. Nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Nobody cares for you like Jesus does. And that's the difference. Now that might not be where you're at. Maybe for you, the starting point is just to give Jesus a chance. Just give him a chance. And not, and not like a one-week chance. Give him a six-month chance to spend time with him. Pray to him. Fellowship with the other believers. To begin moving towards trust, even if you still have those doubts and certainties, because Jesus has made the invitation to you. Let me close with this thought. Wherever you are, Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you to follow him one step at a time. And we're very intentional about one step at a time. Jesus doesn't say, go from zero to 100, clean your life up first. He just says, one step at a time. One step. It's all he wants from you, one step. One commitment, one choice, one decision, one moment, one step at a time. You can do one step. You might not be ready to run in the spirit yet. You might not ready to be leaping and skipping down in your spiritual walk yet, but you can take one step. Can you not? That's all he says. Follow me. One step. With me for my kingdom. It doesn't require complete trust. It doesn't mean 100% certainty from the beginning. It doesn't mean all the answers have to go 
your way. You don't have to clean up first. You don't have have to have it all together, but will you trust and follow one step at a time? We're gonna transition to a time of communion here as we continue to worship this morning. And so if you grabbed your communion elements as you came in, I encourage you to get those out right now. If you missed those, you can get up, slip to one of the four stations uh, across the room to grab one of those as well. It's no surprise that we're talking about communing with God and now we have what is called communion, which is the way in which we spend time with God personally in union with the other believers. And so a timer is going to come on the screen. And for three minutes, we invite you to worship, spend time to commune with God. And specifically, when we partake in communion together, you don't have to be a a member of our church or a regular tender. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to participate in communion this morning. That when you open uh, the elements, you have the little cracker that represents the body of Christ that was broken for you on the cross and the little sip of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. If you're with us this morning and you haven't followed Jesus and made that commitment with your life, or maybe you're just checking out church and God has been a long time, I invite you to not partake in communion, but over these three minutes to maybe sit and to reflect, what might that next step, that one step be for you? I'm gonna pray and then invite you to commune with Jesus this morning by remembering what he did on the cross for the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your work. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for everything that you have done, are doing and will do in us. May we never forget and always remember your goodness. I pray for each and every person here in the room with us, those watching online, our campus in Urbana, people who aren't even with us today, but they call first home as we seek your face willingly over the next seven days. May we be diligent and ending strong and figuring out maybe what net we might need to leave behind to worship you. We thank you for the invitation to commune and to contribute to your kingdom. We love you because you first loved us. Amen.